Oh, good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Crossroads Church and Ministries. Um, whether you are here in person, we like to welcome you here in person. Whether you are online joining with us on uh, Facebook or on YouTube, we will also like to welcome you and give you a nice, warm welcome as well. If you are new, we will also would like to give it a chance to know you and meet you. So could you please meet us at the Next Steps kiosk, either uh, before after church after service would probably be the best timing and that way you can fill out a card and we also have a nice gift for you as well um and so yeah uh in a little while we will be receiving communion together um so be sure to get some juice and some bread which was located in the back of the building of the auditorium and you can get some juice and some bread on your own at your house so you can receive communion with us as well crushing in the pressing you are making new wine in the soil I now surrender you are breaking new ground so I yield to you careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me your vessel.
everybody. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Don Capo. I'm the worship arts pastor here. And today, May 15th, is my 22nd anniversary of being full-time here at Crossroads Church and Ministries, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I just remembered that in the midst of that last song, I knew that it was the 15th because I I was, I was told to be ready to speak about something, but I just remembered that it was that, and it reminded me that I went from being uh, the young guy to the old head, uh, and it seemed like it just, like, uh, in a blink, uh, I, was, I was the 50, almost 51-year-old guy, so, hi, everybody, good morning. So it takes a little longer to take things off of myself as I transition from one spot to the other than it used to. Um, well, this morning, um, I wanted to start out, uh, this message is Love is the Sign uh, in our life series. And if we could, um, would you guys mind standing up with me? Let's read first uh, out of Matthew chapter 5. Um, this is what's known, of course, as the Beatitudes. And this is starting, uh, starting with verse 3, and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus, again, is teaching us a new way, and you all can be seated. Thank you. I won't make you do any more calisthenics. I promise that was it. That was your stretch for the, for the day. Um, because, uh, you know, we have, we have all had a rough two and a half years, and so we don't need to do extra exercising. Some of us need to do more exercising. I need to stretch. I'm, I'm noticing I need to stretch just about every night, uh, and especially over the last two and a half years. And we, all of us have had a tumultuous two and a half years in one way or another. Um, we've experienced 
suffering and pain and loss at varying levels. And it's true that as the quote goes, that we have all been in the same storm, but not in the same boat. When the waters began to rise, some of us were in 10-foot bass fishing boats. Uh, Some of us were in large pontoons. And just a few of us were, were in luxury yachts. But too many of us were in rafts, lashed together with pieces of string and fishing line, with uneven boards and logs that would take on water because of the gaps and holes between them. Each of us felt the pain of the storm, and we all thought that we must be going through the same things, even though some of our cabins were stocked with caviar for the duration of the storm, while some of us had to pray that rotten seaweed would drift by to feed our families. The way that we live and the resources that we have and the color of our skin changes the way that we see the world in one another. And the way that we see the world in one another can be known and is known as unconscious biases. And um, I say that word because uh, after this message, after church is over, uh, the group that's doing, uh, that's learning about diversity and inclusion, um, Tashna Thomas is going to be teaching us about unconscious biases. And so I think it's good for us to hear a little bit about it, and maybe we can think if we want to become part of this group if you're not already there. Um, but like a lot of people, my two and a half years started a couple months earlier. Uh, and if you don't know my story about this, uh, on November 14th, 2019, uh, I had a cardiac event during a stress test at Michigan Medicine. Cardiac, cardiac event is what you say uh, to your wife so she doesn't freak out as she's driving to, to Ann Arbor uh, to meet with you. Honey, it's just a cardiac event. I want to drive myself, but they won't let me. And I know the ambulance is too expensive. Can you come to get me? Uh, and so I'd, have, I'd been having chest pain for several weeks, but of course I just thought it was acid reflux. I had an appointment already scheduled to see my gastroenterologist, and we discussed this. And thankfully this appointment was with the doctor that I've had for a couple of decades. And he is notoriously late to all of his appointments because he takes more than his allotted time talking with and listening to his patients. And as you know, if the doctors take more than two and a half minutes, everybody's late after that point. And he could have easily agreed that it was just a gastro symptom and scheduled more tests at his clinic uh, to make more money. But because he's the type of doc that will listen, uh, uh, he decided uh, that, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea for you to take a stress test. And so I did. And so a stress test, cardiac event, next day emergency cardiac catheter, 90% blockage of my LAD, yada, 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 two stents, yada, yada, yada. And they open things back up so everything's fine. But then, with barely any time to recover in March, we all became under stress as COVID came in. And as we were all under stress, me as somebody with a primary uh, immune condition patient, with lung disease and autoimmune disease and now my heart disease, my anxiety level began to go through the roof a bit, as you might be able to imagine. And my anxiety, uh, as an eight on the Enneagram, as you uh, would know if you get a chance to go to any of the retreats, uh, my anxiety generally shows itself as anger. 
uh, when I'm stressed, uh, when I'm stressed, when I'm feeling the pressure, anger generally kind of begins to boil a little bit. I've gotten to the point at almost 51 years of age that I can keep it deep down inside of myself so that I'm screaming inside, but just slightly shaking outside. But I'm getting better because I'm getting older, as I mentioned to you. And then, you know, there were times when I was reading, especially on social media, where I would see that people showing a lack of care for other people. And I thought, why are they unwilling to do simple things to protect the elderly, the poor, newborns with underdeveloped immune systems, people with multiple medical conditions like, well, me. And then I would even read on social media people posting that the people in my current group weren't really worth protecting if it meant the economy was being affected. And after all, wouldn't the world be better off with a, few, with a few fewer older, sick, and poor people? As a white, middle-aged, straight man, it was the first time that I'd ever really felt like I was living in a world that wasn't designed to keep me safe. But then I reminded myself that I was still in a good bass boat. And though it wasn't stocked with necessarily the choicest meats, there was a phone on board with all the numbers to the best physicians, and it came with a really good HMO. There was a ledger in my my glove box with evidence for years of medical bills, but my family has always been fed and cared for. So I'm working on my own frustrations, my own anger with those that I perceive didn't care about my well-being. But it's easier for me to forgive when people are just talking about me And when the pandemic is done, I can go back into being anonymous and stay away from the normal things that are trying to kill me on the outside. But it's not so easy because over and over again, there's injustices towards people people of color, of, of Asians, of indigenous people. And they were happening across the country. Voices continuing to be suppressed and people who were trying to escape violence became the boogeyman. And even ways to learn to live better were being mocked. And it surely seems like this is the worst the world has ever been. Has anybody ever felt like that in the last couple of years? Man, this is the worst the world has ever been. But, sip of Coca-Cola. You don't have to go back very far to see that conflict and hate among people has been around for a very long time. Uh, Even Rodgers and Hammerstein addressed this in the musical South Pacific in 1958. And if you're part of my family, uh, Claire's dad is my grandfather. Uh, Your lullabies are songs from musicals. Uh, Even some lullabies are songs from musicals about horse racing, uh, which doesn't make sense unless you hear it in a nice, peaceful, I got the horse right here. His name is Paul Revere. But anyway, back to South Pacific. There's a song in South Pacific called You Have to Be Carefully Taught. And it says you have to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. Oh, you've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are differently made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be caught before it's too late, before you were six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. 
And I think Pastor Claire has, has told us about that song before and here. And so much of the world teaches us to hate when we must teach one another to love one another and especially teach our children to love with a radical love. And if the signs of the time are division and hate, then we must purposely teach and train one another, especially our children, with the signs of love. And if the antidote to the biases of hate in this world is love, then what are the directions to find this love? Sorry, I'm squeaky. I'm going to take one more sip. Super medicine. And if we're going to jump into the old pontoon to get to love, and we know that Jesus is love, then how do we follow him? And if love is the sign, what are the signs? Well, let's think about it in this way. We take just a moment or two, and maybe you want to write it, or maybe just do this in your head. And when we think about unconscious bias, it's not something that happens right away, and it's not something evil that we do. It can become part of our lives. So either think about or remember some of these kinds of things. When you were growing up, what was your neighborhood like? Your school? Your friends? The kinds of jobs that your parents had? What kinds of people lived in your neighborhood? What kinds of people came into your house that went to your school and work? And what were the jokes that you heard or told? So think about those for just a second. And I don't want you to condemn yourself at all because this isn't bad or good. It just is. These are the things that we took in as kids, as young people, as an adult. Because these are the things that created your biases. And if you're like me and you grew up in the 70s or 80s or even before, uh, you probably had a lot to overcome when you think about these things. And you think about the jokes that you told. And you think about the lack of diversity of people that, was, were, that came into your house or were in your school, or on your sports teams. And so you began to think, we all began to think, well, it just looks this way. This is how life is. It just is. But we recognize that Jesus is calling us to a deeper thing, a deeper love, a deeper ability to see what is a part of the world around us, and a deeper way to see how to love. Uh, I think many of us have seen uh, this picture uh, by the cartoonist Scott Hilburn. And it's, in, uh, it's this picture where the rhino is the artist. And in all the art that he creates, uh, for some reason, the, a horn pops up in the middle of it. And it's because this is the only way, and I know that's kind of, uh, it's, you can't see it really well there. Uh, it's, it's probably because whichever website I got uh, has copied it down from the 75th copy from somebody else had. So, uh, so anyway, let's, let's uh, hear it for Scott Hilburn. Let's give him credit today. Um, so, because it's just true that even as uh, this rhino sees everything with that horn in front of him, creates everything that way, uh, our, our world has whatever, and it's easy for me to say this with this huge nose, has, uh, we're looking through whatever it is that's been attached to our face for 50 or 20 
or 30 years. And so if we recognize that that horn is there, then we can begin to make changes to get rid of these things that have cloud our, thing, or cloud our vision and doing things in just one way. Jesus said it like this, and I love this. Jesus said this all the time. You have heard it said, but today I tell you. Can you guys say that? You have heard it said. Yeah. And I love it when Jesus says that. When he does that move, when he pulls it out, you know something big's about to happen. You know some stuff is about to get shaken up. Somebody's biases are about to be messed with. In, chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, G, uh, Jesus says it no less than six times, just one chapter. And that's after teaching the Beatitudes, which is an amazing thing for us to learn and to go by. Because Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to recognize the poor, those who mourn, those who, who are meek, who are merciful. These are the folks that are closest to God. Jesus is upending everything, and more than 2,000 years later, still doing it. And then still says, knowing that even though we have these biases, to go out and to be salt and light. Jesus wants them and wants us to rethink everything that we were taught about our anger and the way that we view men and women. And he's talking about divorce and commitment, oaths, the repayment of violence with violence. Jesus is not messing around here. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said. But today, I tell you, Jesus is giving us love as a sign to teach us the ways to truly live. And we have to learn to teach it to each other. As Janelle Monet says, love is a rebellious act in the face of oppression while celebrating the beauty of diversity. So let's think for a moment. Who did Jesus spend most of his time with? We know that Jesus' ministry occurred in a small region of the world, which was largely a homogenous Jewish society. But yet he still found opportunities to interact with those of foreign backgrounds who carried their traditions with them. And he spoke with Romans who worshipped multiple gods, Syrians and Canaanites who were worshipers of idols, and with Samaritans who were, whose religion had a lot in common with the Jews, but looked at a different mountain as their holiest site. And the Gospels recorded Jesus' interactions with specific people, like the Roman centurion with the sick servant in Luke 7, and acknowledged his faith. In Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman with a daughter who appears to be mentally ill, convinces Jesus to heal her. And Jesus commends her for her great faith. There's a Samaritan man with leprosy who is healed and comes back to show great thanks. And the Samaritan woman at the well, who who Jesus does not condemn, but has a long conversation with her to comfort and forgive her. And the woman is so overwhelmed that she tells everyone in her town of the warmth and the love and forgiveness of this man, Jesus. Jesus didn't dictate the signs of love, but asked questions to get to the heart of each person. And it's so wonderful for us to see now. But it might have been a bit frustrating for the followers to have the response of each of their questions be a question. 
John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? And then in Matthew 15, his his disciples asked, "Where Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Jesus asked, How many loaves do you have? In Matthew 26, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. As we jump forward, people say to them, this perfume could have been sold at a high price, and the money gave to the poor. Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? I mean, Jesus, just not messing around. Okay, you guys went into this, but why are you bothering this woman? And then in Mark 7, after he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable that he said. And Jesus says, are you so dull? Are you so dull? I think Jesus had a really good sense of humor, especially with his, uh, his disciples. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do? to inherit its eternal life. What is written in the law? And Jesus says, in a really deep and profound way, how do you read it? So Jesus wants to have a conversation with us. Jesus asks us questions so that we might probe our hearts and look deeply into ourselves. Does Jesus have a sense of humor? Absolutely. Was he trying to get people to use their own brains? Probably. Was Jesus, above all things, interested in knowing all people from all walks of life and getting to know them in the fullness of his great love without a doubt? Was Jesus teaching us all how important it is to listen, to understand? Even if Jesus the Christ wanted to go deep into the relationship with people, even if it was for one short interaction. Jesus doesn't want to grab us by the scruff of the neck and scream, here is where you are supposed to be, mortal. No, Jesus gives us signs of love, suggests the ways that we might go, and delights in the ways that we walk out in love. So what are some things that Jesus did Jesus healed the sick, delivered the oppressed, told people to tell others what God had done for them, praised them for their faith, and praised them as examples of what God wants. But what Jesus didn't do was follow his own culture's prejudicial norms, condemn or rebuke new followers or people from other cultures, scream of judgment or hell, argue theology, debate, quote, or proof text scriptures, demand that people change. The only time that Jesus came remotely close to those kinds of things with those in positions of power, those who were seeking to put their authority upon other people, even there his first response was to ask questions and to move with love. And it's worth remembering that Jesus preferred to be with those on the outside, those with limited resources, those considered unclean, women, who of course usually were on the outside, 
unreliable witnesses lacking authority. Jesus said, y'all better switch that up. Jesus wanted to be with ones that were considered to be racial enemies. And let's not forget, he even took time to relate with oppressors of the day because he knew that each and every person needed to be moved by love. Jesus was with everyone he was told he should not be with because love is the sign that guides Jesus and should guide us to love those considered to be on the outside because that is how we find the light. That's how we find redemption. That's how we find renewal and appreciation for life. It's by loving all who Christ loves. So y'all, can we see the signs that are out there today? We can't just put our heads in the sand and say they don't exist, but we should rise up and move in the way that Christ did and Christ continues to move within our hearts. And if you're after the signs of love like we are as a church, maybe you'd like to join us uh, on one of these weeks where we're doing our reconciliation and inclusion talks. Because we know that this world, whether it's this world right here or this world in this state or this country or this world, this world, that um, our world needs to be reached. It needs to be reached out to to bring reconciliation and inclusion and to help others see what beautiful diversity this world was created with. And so if you are interested, you can come see me in the cafe after service. And um, our amazing Teshla Thomas is going to be guiding us to see God's love and teaching us to wait to see the signs that Jesus left for us. And so, uh, if you will, let me leave you uh, with this prayer, with this quote from Father Richard Rohr. Uh, and I think our friends, Pastor Kathleen, Pastor Sean, are going to come up and pray with us after. But Richard Rohr says this, On the inner journey of the soul, we meet a God who interacts with our deepest selves, who grows the person, allowing and forgiving mistakes. And it's precisely this give and take, and knowing there will be give and take, that makes God so real as a lover even the lover of our souls. So why don't we stand as Kathleen and Sean come up and pray with us. Thanks, Don. Um, Actually, Claire and I have asked um, Sean, Pastor Sean and Uh, Pastor John Knox to come up and pray. Don, thank you. That was so beautiful. One of the, yeah, I, and, you know, one of the things that um, is so, so difficult, I think, for us, but so needed, is don't you get tired of immediately when something happens, it's the same old, same old, same old approach, like whether, you know, any kind of communication we get um, from the world. And I, it's not all, it's, it's not that some of it's not really well-meaning, but it's just the same old questions, same old approach to 
issues that are really huge and need to shift. Um, our hearts are broken today over what happened in Buffalo. Um, and, you know, we just, we, we really need to get a handle on the heart of Jesus as a people and as a world on things like racial terrorism, right? Like, and, and we need to be enough awake enough to know that it's not just intended for our black brothers and sisters to respond a certain way. It's for all of us to kind of go into the old silos that we all go into that, you know what? You have heard it said, Jesus would say, but I say unto you, it's time to look at things differently. So we, we're going to do our prayers as a community. And I've asked uh, Sean, Claire and I have asked Sean and John to, to lead us because uh, Sean is a retired state police officer, um, and most of you know him really well. And John, as I said, is a chaplain, works with law enforcement in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I, Claire and I have been with these guys and talked with them. We've certainly, I, you know, I slept in the same bedroom with Sean for the first 18 years of my life, so I'm, an, I'm a Sean expert, actually. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, he's my brother. So anyway... Um, I have watched, these guys have gone into the trauma of what happened, places like what happened in, in Buffalo yesterday. And there are, there are, there is a deep grief, and I have watched these guys carry that and hold people. And I think there's something powerful that we may experience as they lead us in prayer around just this heartache that we're all carrying. And as they lead us, I want you to know that they're leading us because I, I've watched them weep over this stuff. And it's important that the stuff going on in the world is breaking our hearts guys, and that we go to God first and help God give us a, a deeper love and wisdom and understanding. So as we pray, let's just prepare our hearts, and John and Sean, if you guys could lead us. Creator of all, we come together to pray for our world, our church, our community, and our family and friends. We thank you for your mercy and grace meets us as we pray. We cry out for our world and for the victims and their families of the shooting in Buffalo. With the psalmist we lament how long, O oh Lord? And together, Lord, Lord in your in mercy, mercy, help, help our, our world, world bring, your bring your love.
Lord, we pray for all the public safety, first responders, and for the Buffalo community. Devastated by this unthinkable incident. Lord, in your mercy, help our world world bring your your love. For all people of goodwill who are heartbroken at the hateful violence in Buffalo, New York, this heinous, hateful act. Lord, in your mercy, help help our our world world bring your bring your love. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the evil of racism. Forgive us for silence. Forgive us for politicizing the the pain of the black community. May repentance repentance bring change. change. May May justice justice surpass surpass our our understanding understanding and live in our our spirits. May May new people people rise to speak and profess profess so so others others can rest. May we be reminded that the spirit of life leans toward toward justice. justice. May the breath breath we we desire desire so deeply be abundant abundant that no no human human can take. May we rise up in solidarity and may the God of all in compassion provide consolation and healing. Lord, in your mercy, help our world bring your love. For all our family, friends, and neighbors. In your mercy, help our world bring your love. Amen. Faithful God, your son Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By the power of you, Holy Spirit, help us to live out that command every day in every way we can so that we may be your people in our community to love and serve all our neighbors, all God's children. Lord, in your mercy, help our world bring your love. Amen.